Hi there. I think it's time I told you about the Cruffin, the Mr. Holmes Bakehouse branding strategy that I spend so much time thinking about. That, and an update on this summer's bread pop-ups. This is Zach Martinucci, and you're listening to Against the Grain. If we've hung out in real life, I've probably managed to slip in my opinion on Mr. Holmes' Bakehouse. It's kind of a fundamental story to how I and Rebel Bread think about marketing and food. There's not a lot about the history of Mr. Holmes on their website, so bear with me as this version is my opinion and what I have for memory. Now, Mr. Holmes' Bakehouse opened their doors a few years back in San Francisco, in the Tenderloin, mind you, not really known as the best area in the city. They've become quite successful, and now also have two Los Angeles locations and one in Seoul, Korea. They are the epitome of a millennial bakery, and I don't mean that as an insult. I really mean that they've done an excellent job reimagining what a bakery looks like when it's born today. They have this iconic, pink, hand-throwing-up-a-peace-sign logo, a really young, fun, sassy voice across their brand, and they claim the tagline, putting carbs back in their place. I can relate to that part, because I too like the idea that we shouldn't be fearful of carbs, and instead recognize them, especially in decadent pastries, as little indulgences in our day. I like what they stand for. And maybe what I love most about Mr. Holmes is that they go big or go home. Rather, they go big and then go home, because they make these incredibly inventive and delicious pastries, and stay open till 2.30pm or until they sell out, which they do all the time. Now, Mr. Holmes' signature pastry is the cruffin. You've already figured it out, a croissant muffin. It's croissant dough rolled up, baked in a muffin tin, then rolled in sugar and stuffed with a filling. If you know your pastry, then you know that this sounds a lot like a morning bun, which is where the story gets interesting. You see, the cruffin is a controversial topic in the baking community. Everyone has an opinion. The more cynical say, it's just a glorified morning bun. Some people don't like that they rebranded a traditional pastry, put some croissant dough in a muffin pan instead of a morning bun pan, it comes out a different shape and they call it their own. Some say that's cheating. Why does Mr. Holmes get to do it? I think it's brilliant. They took something just familiar enough and made it their own and ran with it. Even better, there's speculation that the cruffin is a structurally unstable morning bun, that it would collapse if they didn't put filling in the middle. But again, whether or not that's true points to them for making the filling a unique selling point and constantly creating new flavors for that filling to keep the product interesting and keep people coming back. One of the creffins I had was filled with peanut butter and jelly cream, which isn't my favorite flavor, but it was good, unique, and I could always go back the next day to try something else. I don't know which came first, the idea for the creffin or the bakery, but Mr. Holmes Bakehouse has cleverly built a large part of their brand around this pastry. Because it's not just a pastry, it's a full-blown experience, both on social media and in real life. The hashtag Cruffin has over 36,000 posts on Instagram as I write this, and I recommend you check out that hashtag if you've never seen a Cruffin, or if you want to see the kind of attention it gets on the internet. It's got this following where everyone wants to get their hands on a Cruffin to take the same photo with it as everyone else, like some social media badge of honor. I don't know how they did that, but it's smart. I think part of the desire to chase after the Cruffin comes from its exclusivity, at least how it was perceived at first. I haven't had one in a while, but I'll tell you about the last time I got a Cruffin a number of months back in San Francisco. Here's how it works. Mr. Holmes Bakehouse in San Francisco opens at 7am, some days 8am, and at that time you can walk in and get whatever pastry you want. 
They have a really wide selection of croissants, danishes, tarts, donuts, all in creative flavors like you've never seen at an older school bakery. Last time I was there, I loved the sushi croissant, which was making its way around SF, usually some variation of salmon, wasabi, ginger, sesame, and seaweed in a croissant. The Cruffin, however, does not go on sale until 9am, and so two lines form down Larkin Street in opposite directions. One for everything except the Cruffin. It's hardly a line at all. I like to think of it as the locals' line. These people have had a Cruffin before, and they're walking in for a morning pastry on their way to work, because they know that everything else at Mr. Holmes is just as great, if not, dare I say, better than the Cruffin, and I agree with them. But we're tourists, or at least some kind of social media tourist, and we're here for the experience today, so we get in the Cruffin line, a line that often goes around the corner as early as 7 or 8 a.m., hours before the Cruffin sale, every day. And this is San Francisco, so this kind of thing happens, but people are usually waiting for the next iPhone or some free music event or brunch. It feels novel that this is just for a single pastry. You wait in line with all the other eager Cruffin seekers. Some people are here with friends that are visiting town or tourists on their own. Some don't have to be at work for another hour or so, and they're making a morning of this. And my favorite, which I don't understand, the people that tell you this is the best thing they've ever eaten and they come every week or day or whatever and wait in this line. Around 8.45, 15 minutes to Cruffin lunch, someone from the bakery comes out and speaks to the people in line. They're so happy you're here. And as always, there's a limited supply of Cruffins. She's holding a page of stickers, bright pink stickers, I think with some metallic trim. It's a nice sticker. And each sticker is good for two Cruffins. Yep, limit two per person. So if they were to have made 100 Cruffins today, she has 50 stickers to give out. Now, I don't know what their production schedule is like, but it feels like they make an arbitrary amount of Cruffins each day, and you never know if you'll show up on the day when they made 200 or 35. So she hands a sticker to the first 50 people. You all are going to get a Cruffin. And then she tells the next 20 or so, hey, there's a chance you'll get one if the first 50 don't buy two per person, so stick around. And everyone else, you should come back tomorrow, or um, get in the locals line. When you finally get to the front with your sticker, it is like you're buying the newest iPhone. You made it, and you get to take home one or two Cruffins for like $5 each in whatever flavor they made that day. And if you buy enough things, you get a box, which is this beautiful, sturdy white box that says Mr. Holmes Bakehouse in shimmering gold writing. It really is a beautiful box. I've never thrown one away. Now this shop is tiny. There are just like three or four wooden stools against the window, but mostly just enough room for the pastry counter, some retail shelves, and against the simple white tile wall, the iconic pink neon sign that reads, I got baked in San Francisco. You take your Cruffin, take a picture in front of the sign, and then go eat your pastry in front of some graffiti out on Larkin Street. Not like street art, like graffiti. That is the experience. I think Mr. Holmes has a lot to teach us about being a successful bakery today. You have to have a voice, a brand image, a personality really for your company. That's hard for the older school baking world to grasp, because I think the idea was always that you just made a great product for your neighborhood. There's no advertising. If you make good pastries, people will come. And that's true. And Mr. Holmes understands that if you're a company today on the internet, you are a global company. That was actually a lesson in entrepreneurship class this week. Even if you're just selling to Larkin Street, you have to be aware of your image on a much greater scale. 
and they use that to their advantage. You also have to have at least one Instagrammable product. What's your cruffin? That thing that people are going to line up for, talk about, that the internet can't get enough of, that is an experience in and of itself. The thing that other bakeries are going to start making, and will have to call it a cruffin like Mr. Holmes came up with, because that's what sells. And I think their sticking power is that they walk the talk. They're not making only cruffins and trying to get rich on one internet trend. They have great pastries, and lots of them, in so many different flavors that change all the time to keep up with and contribute to the conversations around creativity and innovation and food, and making the most of little moments in our lives. I think if they can keep putting out sushi croissants and bourbon apple butter donuts and whatever else the world needs next but doesn't know it yet, I think they'll be around a long time. I think a lot about how to take a page from the Mr. Holmes playbook. What's my cruffin? Well, it's the bagel puff. Good news is I actually already came up with that. It's just not in production yet. More realistically, how to create a lifestyle experience around a product to get people excited for the experiences that come with the box or the neon sign, or how to build an Instagram following or a daily line that requires a sticker lady for a pastry. I'm hoping the bread pop-ups do this to an extent. You have to follow the website or Instagram to see where we're selling bread next and get there before we sell out, so there is a level of exclusivity. But I'm not satisfied with that because in this stage, I can't make that much bread, so selling out really just means there are lots of other people that don't get to try the bread today. For now, that demand could be helpful in building a brand, but I'm really hoping to build up production so one day soon, I can have one stickerable, Instagrammable, line-worthy product, and then a locals line, so everyone in the community can stop in for their daily bread. On to our updates. I booked a month of bread pop-ups across Denver. In the following weeks, you can find us May 4th at Huckleberry at the Dairy Block, May 12th at Amethyst Coffee Company, May 19th at Blue Sparrow Coffee, and the 26th at the River Yoga Studio. Again, the goal here is to be in some consistent places to get those communities on board, and then hopefully having some recurring events throughout the summer. We will be at Amethyst every second Saturday morning of the month, and I'm still confirming if we'll be returning to Huckleberry or Blue Sparrow or somewhere in their respective neighborhood each month. And the last weekend will be a wild card. This month at the River Yoga Studio, next month to be determined. Next, a more complete version of our website is up, and you can check out all of our bread sale pop-up dates on rebelbread.com. The goal for the website is to tell the story, the mission, and how to interact with Rebel Bread in one page. This podcast is, of course, the long version of that story, but for people who just look us up on the internet, I want them to be able to scroll through once and get the idea. Since you've been listening for all this time, I'd love your feedback if you want to check out rebelbread.com. And let me know if I've clearly conveyed the company's message through the site. It can also be confusing that we're selling bread and teaching classes, but only in temporary and changing locations right now. So I hope the where to find us section is clear. The website is a work in progress, and I think it's at a good start for now. Lastly, I'm back now after my travels, and it feels good to be in Denver again. I feel more settled just being here and able to focus on what's ahead. With that being said, The beginning of April was a stressful time and something I had been planning for for so long that I forgot to look past April. I really don't know what's next. I mean, with the pop-ups, I know what's on the calendar for the next month or so, but I need to think again about my direction or vision. This is week seven of the podcast, which means that in just a few weeks' time, 
season one will come to an end, and my entrepreneurship class will end as well. The things I was focusing on when this podcast started, like finding pop-up venues, getting on social media, and so on, those are more routine now, or at least less of a time commitment. Plus, my weekly schedule is going to change. I'm going to get some time back each week, and I need to figure out how to reinvest that. So by the end of this 10 weeks, the way I spend my time will look a little different, and I want to be intentional about how that looks, in deciding the new ways in which I'll focus on different aspects of Rebel Bread. Next Friday night, I'm teaching my dress rehearsal gnocchi class, so I'll tell you how that goes. Plus, we've got time for a few more conversations this season before I figure out what's next and start wrapping up where we've been together. As always, have a great week, and I'll talk to you next Sunday. This track was Mezcal y Sangrita by Brasmataz on Free Music Archive.